Hello, Alex from Scrimba here. You are listening to a recording of one of our weekly fireside chats here at Scrimba. In a nutshell, we sit around an imaginary campfire and have real conversations about learning to code and how to land your first junior developer job. We bring out the imaginary kindling every Tuesday, and while we hope you enjoy this recording, we would much prefer to see you there live, because when you attend live, you get to participate in the chat and ask us questions. To learn more about the Fireside chats, such as how to join, what exciting topics are upcoming, and what specific time the event happens in your time zone, head to scrimba.com forward slash fireside. On behalf of myself, my wonderful co-host Leanne from Scrimba, and everybody else on the Scrimba team, and our occasional guests here in the Fireside chats, please enjoy this episode, and remember to subscribe so that you see future episodes as well as support the show. Let's get into it. Hey Bob, how's it going? Hey, doing well. How's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. Today I'm hoping we can answer the f- uh, open the floor, sorry, to anybody in the chat to ask you questions about, well, anything really, their own personal goals and their own personal experiences learning to code. I know that you think a lot about sort of how to teach, but part of that is how to learn as well. So if anybody has questions about how to learn efficiently or how to structure their learning or their days, I'm sure we can talk about that. But obviously it would be great to hear a little bit about what's happening at Scrimba as well. I know that you're working day in and day out really only on the front end career path, trying to make it as good as possible for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun to go through. I mean, the the front end career path is a really great resource the the content is awesome, but it's also a little disjointed in terms of the the pedagogy. I guess that's the main thing I'm trying to do is make sure that there's consistency. So yeah, it's it's been really fun. I got to do the API course, which I think some of you have probably had a chance to go through now. Always open to feedback, by the way. And I'm working on the React course, which I'm really excited about. That was one of the the main things I was excited to join Scrimba and work on was was redoing the React course, um, the intro to React course first, and then the advanced React course afterwards. That they're like your original sort of OG React courses, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That's how I got introduced to Scrimba, and I think it just kind of turned out that's how I'm known now is for React. Which uh, there's there's certainly an aspect of imposter syndrome there because I'm not the world's foremost expert on React at all. But I I think I know how to teach it, so that's that's what sets me apart, I guess. Obviously, the Scrimba platform is very unique in that you the learners can kind of click in and edit the code, play with it, run it. You can reset it and go back to where you started without worrying about breaking things. That was part of Scrimba from day one. But it took a while, I think, for us as a team and some of the teachers on the platform to make the absolute most of that platform. It's very hard if you've gone from making YouTube videos or teaching in a class to then realize and almost equip the power of the Scrimba editor so that there are lots and lots of opportunities for you to kind of get involved and and edit and touch the code yourself. I even find myself doing it where I'll get, you know, four or five screencasts or lessons recorded and realize that I didn't have the person do anything. <laughs> and and so I have to go back and just erase everything I did and really inject it full of, of exercises and, and anything that will get their hands on the keyboard. I mean, some of my exercises are just, here's something that you need to go Google. So it doesn't necessarily make use of the Scrimba platform in that instance, but mm-hmm. it gets them, you know, it, it breaks them away from tutorial hell where they're just watching and and uh, I mean anybody who's scrolled through maybe TikTok uh, or you know other some other addictive social media platform knows that it's super easy to fall into a pattern of just watching and consuming without actually gaining right. anything out of it other than a few laughs. Absolutely, I think that some people have learned to code and then found Scrimba, and it's been quite obvious to them the ways in which Scrimba is different. I'm very sort of pleased with the people who've kind of discovered Scrimba as their first platform because a lot of the, a lot of the things that we've done well, I think, not to toot our own horn too much, but the career path gives you a very structured, um, sort of way of learning so that you don't have to wonder about, "Mm, am I ready to learn React yet? If you follow the path, you don't have to answer these questions. It makes sure that you are getting the foundational knowledge to move on to the next thing. And everything is 
deliberately building on top of the other thing. And then as you alluded to, uh, when people sort of just copy and paste tutorials, it feels very productive at first. And you can go a few weeks, maybe a month doing that and feel great, pick up some things here and there. But at some point, obviously you'll want to build your own features, at which point you can't like copy and paste anything. It doesn't exist yet. And, and people sometimes get trapped in this way of thinking where they, they will Google something like how to build tic-tac-toe game or how to build feature, not really understanding how to break it down into the, the sort of programming concepts or language features that are necessary. Again, I think some people recognize when they come to Scrimba that all those problems they might have experienced on other platforms don't exist anymore. But for a lot of new people, I hope it's a very sort of smooth uh, path from beginning to feeling confident building your own websites. I, I know that's something you think about a lot, Bob. It's certainly, I guess, a symptom of something like YouTube. Uh, somebody who's trying to learn to code, it's it's our natural tendency. And this isn't even a commentary on on the human nature. Well, it's a commentary on human nature, not anyone in, in particular, but it's nature to just watch and, and I guess assume that somebody else will teach you how to do everything. And I like to think of learning to code more like gathering tools where you you gather you gather tools and you learn how to use them, but no one teaches. So I'm into, I, I like woodworking. I'm kind of a beginner woodworker. And I've, I've collected a bunch of tools and have started making certain things. But what you learn are skills that are building each little component at a time. So, so for example, learning how a for loop works and when it's useful, learning when, when to use and how to use if statements, conditionals, um, you know, the different in JavaScript, the difference between constant let and when you would need to use one over the other or whatever it might be. You learn how to do each of those pieces, and then you get to start being creative on your own. Um, obviously, it's very helpful to watch somebody to uh, do build a to-do app, but then you got to try and do it yourself. Otherwise, right. you're never going to be good at it. Um, it's the same with learning anything in the world. And I don't know why it, it sounds ridiculous to think I'm going to watch hundreds of hours of somebody playing the piano and and think then I'll become a good, a proficient pianist. Um, that, that, you know, everyone intuitively knows that that's ridiculous, but somehow we don't think that with something like coding, um, where, you know, it, it's really easy just to watch someone else do it. it I'm, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but my point is building the fundamental knowledge is key. And like you said, um, going through the career path is just a, a solid way to do that instead of worrying about when you need to jump around. One of the things that Pear and I are working on now is creating a series of self-assessment projects that we don't walk people through the answers at all. Um, and and it's you know essentially here's a design. We're we're integrating Figma pretty deeply into the career path. Um, nice. So here's a design. You'll install or you'll download the Figma file. Um, that's what you should be able to make. Here's the requirements. Go off and make it. And if you can successfully make this, then you're ready to move forward in the career path. Um, and, and that way people can test themselves without saying, well, I'll just hit play and, oh, oh yeah, I, now, I, now that I see him do it, I kind of get it. Like I know mm -hmm. how I, I knew that. Um, I, I can there's no way that. around it if you have to build it yourself. That's awesome. I mean, it's, I do agree that, you know, it's great to have, uh, resources, but you are ultimately taking responsibility for your own learning. We as people just in general are very bad at measuring our own learning and what we've understood. Mm -hmm. And so it really helps that you're kind of almost forcing people to do the thing that is most likely best for them. And of course, you can always skip around if you choose. Um, but yeah, we've been, I mean, really happy to chat and just chat casually for a few minutes. I'm really excited to start asking you or relaying, sorry, some questions from the chat. Sometimes we talk among ourselves here at Team Scrimber, but we often bring on guests as well. And it's great to see so many familiar people as well as some new people. To, to all of you, please just take a moment if you're listening to say hello in the chat. You should be able to find a fireside chat text channel just above this one. It's really great to see you writing in there and engaging, not least of which because it's cool to see you pop up, but because we're here to sort of ask and answer your questions. Um, so Luffy asked a question. This is a, we'll probably, you know, dart over the place a little bit. I'm just going to ask them in the order that they came in. And in that same vein, if you have a question for Bob, please write it in the chat and I'll try my best to get to it. Um, Luffy asked, why, why do you like programming and what is the reason you like programming? I, I think back to growing up and I would play, you know, I would program on my TI-83 plus calculator, uh, building little programs that would help me cheat in my math class. And uh, I think the reason that I liked it then and the reason I like it now is because it's a really great combination of analytical thinking, problem solving, 
which I tend to do well. I, I like to break a problem down and solve its parts and then see how those small solutions build to a greater solution. But there's also an element of creativity in it that you can create something out of thin air. You can just sit at your computer and then build something that has value by typing on your keyboard. I like working with my hands. I, I like doing projects you know, around the house and building physical things, but it's really rewarding to have that combination of of analytical thinking and creativity. And what sort of drew you towards teaching in particular over say working as a as a developer at a company yourself? I was fairly dismayed when I was learning at the quality of the resources that were available at the time. There were a lot of I mean there's even more now, but you know, this was around 2014 I I really decided to do the career change. I took a boot camp myself. And whenever I would search for answers or people would say, read the documentation, I just, it was all over my head. And I realized that most documentation assumes uh, quite a bit of experience in programming already. And so I started building really from the ground up step-by-step tutorials for my own coding bootcamp class. I would learn the things well enough to write up, you know, a Google doc that, that had images and step-by-step pictures on how to do everything and then I realized that I was good at it and I liked doing it. I liked remembering what it was like to be a total beginner and build tutorials that can, I guess, build off of the correct amount of previous experience. So when, when I'm doing React, I'm not starting from the very ground up, but I still try to remind people of things that I remember being confusing and walking them through that step by step. And I think that's a lot of the feedback that I've gotten is that that's been very helpful for them. They've tried, you know, 10 different React courses, and this was the first one that made things stick. And it's because I don't glance over the the small details, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very rewarding. There's a self selfish component to it uh, where I learn so much better if I prepare something well enough to teach it. And so that that has driven my, my love for learning, I guess, has driven my love for teaching as well. That's awesome. And I... I don't know what the state of things are today in your view, but back then and possibly still today, there are a lot of very helpful people in the community who will write tutorials or will offer courses on platforms like Udemy and so on. And they can be very valuable, don't get me wrong. But to really like put yourself in the shoes of a learner, think about things from every different angle, make sure that everything flows together in a way that is both, you know, satisfying, but also search for everything builds on the thing before it. That's a that's not only a discipline, but it's something that takes a lot of time. You really have to be a full-time teacher to nail that. And there aren't, frankly, a lot of people in that position. Rafi asked if Scrimba will develop more adjacent skill courses, for example, about design, project management, or even convergent thinking. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Right now, my main focus is to join together in, in sort of a unity the existing career path. The concept is supposed to be, here's the minimal amount that you need to learn to get a job in technology. And um, I think one thing that always gave me some paralysis about other learning platforms was the wealth of courses. It's just decision paralysis. Um, you know, so what I'd find myself doing is if I were doing this today, I would probably learn the fundamentals and then I would try to take a course on on React, a course on Angular, a course on Svelte, uh, a course on Vue, and then I would probably get distracted by, you know, 10 different CSS framework courses, learning SAS, SCSS, Tailwind, Bootstrap. <laughs> There's just too much out there that I'll, I would feel the need to learn everything. One thing that's nice about the career path is that it's very focused, it's directed. The, the way I envision it is that it, it makes, it, it creates a fine tipped point, a sharp point on each one of us that are learning enough to sort of cut into or break into industry, at which point you can round yourself out and really you know spread out your knowledge or change careers. But once you're in the industry, it's so much easier to stay in the industry than it is to break in the industry. So making people as as sharp as possible. Um, you know, there's there's even topics that a lot of people dive into in their own JavaScript courses that uh, Per and I have decided just aren't worth it. Those topics will distract us and won't get us that much closer to having career-ready people. Um, all that said, I would love to have, and Per and I have talked a lot about what a continuing education 
uh, path would look like. So at the end of the career path, you you should continue to just build stuff on, based on the technology you know. But then once you break into the industry and get your internship or job, maybe it opens up a whole a whole section of Scrimba that has things like design thinking and Scrum and view and and felt and whatever man that would be a dream like you finish the career path and then you arrive at a job and now it's like oh i should probably learn more about scrum and testing and all of these things but all of that's mm-hmm. ready to go and just like a nice little present for you to unpackage and learn everything about yeah. on scrimba that'd be a really cool experience and so there's a couple of kind of related questions for example axel asked about testing and if we might consider adding that to the front-end career path since it is i suppose it might not be a prerequisite for most junior developer jobs and that might be why it's not in the career path but it could be something that separates one candidate from another right if you're a junior knowing testing that kind of makes you stand out in my opinion yeah it's absolutely something that sets you apart in fact i would hear constant feedback from our students at the boot camp i worked at where they would come back from interviews and say, and, and unfortunately, I never was able to introduce testing, um, mostly because I was juggling too many hats. But testing would definitely set you apart, and I absolutely plan to include it as an integral part in the career path. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a huge undertaking. I can't just throw testing into my new React course and expect it to work. Um, I'm going right. to have to really think very intentionally about how testing gets integrated and uh, really meaningful ways to include testing in uh, the front-end developer career path. But that is that is my plan because it absolutely will set people apart. I, I started my thought, but I never finished it. Students would come saying that they were rejected from a job because another candidate, they really liked them, but another candidate had testing experience and they were a testing, uh, they used a lot of testing. And so they, they lost the job because of not having that. It's always been a, a regret of mine. I think that is one of the coolest things about our position here at Scrimba is that we're maybe not the ones applying for jobs, but in helping other people learn to code and navigate the job market, we sort of get to hear a lot of the same feedback. And when something comes up a couple of times, it really makes you think, well, hmm, this must be important. I heard a very similar thing from Dylan Israel, where he strongly felt that testing was something that would separate junior candidates from one another. Obviously, very exciting to hear that could make its way into the career path at some point in the future. We've talked a little bit about adding new topics to the career path. Are there some ways in which the career path could change fundamentally to be more collaborative? As as people listening, I hope, recognize we have a very active Discord community and host weekly events where we try and bring people together and share interesting ideas. Frankly, the career path and the events uh, and the community are a little bit separate today, maybe too separate. It could be really cool, for example, in Amaya's opinion, if we could integrate more collaborative components into future updates of the front-end career path. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. The The very trickiest part of that is that every person is at a different point in the career path. Um, mm. But just as, as I was thinking about that, um, I, I don't want that to be an excuse not to do it because, you know, what... What it could be, and the first thing that came to my mind was maybe we have group projects from the module that you just graduated from or that you just finished. So say I am starting module seven APIs and I just finished module six, which I think is the next level JavaScript, which by the way is going to be remade relatively soon. As a module seven current student, I can join a group of other module seven students, but working on a project that's relevant to module six. That could be a really great way to both reinforce information that I've already learned, but also to be working collaboratively with a group. Group projects are crucial, not just for the group or collaborative aspects, but also for learning how to use Git and GitHub. Um, Those are there. It's very much aligned with what your real job will look like. That's yeah, I would love to, I would love to do that. I mean, my, my list of things to, to update about the career path is fairly long. It's fairly long now, for sure, um, but, but that was certainly close to the top because, yeah, I don't want the community and the learning experience to be totally separate. I think that there's always um, like maybe band-aids, like it's not the best possible solution, but it gets the job done. I think in the community, there's a lot of cool things we, we can be doing more of. And Rafi set a really good example, I think. So shout out to Rafi who kind of took it upon themselves to invite people to participate in a group project, citing the exact same problems or yeah, symptoms basically that you described in that it's crucial, frankly, that you learn to collaborate and understand things like Git and how multiple people can 
divide and conquer work on a code base. Rafi had a question earlier on. I've noted it. It's a bit different from the topic we're talking about. Rafi asked, how do we manage our remote work style at Scrimba? So for those of you who don't know, Scrimba is not only remote, but remote first. Scrimba doesn't have a physical office. It never has. It probably never will. In fact, we've been talking to some new developers to come and add more awesome features to the Scrimba platform. One of them is based in Morocco, for example. So Scrimba truly is remote. And, and you yourself, Bob, are based in Utah, which is very far away from Norway and the UK. So what, yeah. what would you say to Rafi, who asked, how do Scrimba manage their remote work style? Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. I mean, today, you know, like you mentioned, we, we met with some of the new developers and all in all, we had Norway, Wales, Philippines, Morocco, Australia, yeah. and the US, yeah. all representatives. So we were everywhere from 1am to, to, I don't know what time it was there. It's like 5, 4, 4pm 4 or something. And so it's a trick, but I think especially being a relatively small team, it's fun to get together. Everybody gets to talk and and we all get to be a real part of what we're building. For me, when COVID started, my last company, we just went to completely online anyway. We sold our campus, all of our student housing. We got rid of everything and just became an online company. So I'm, I'm fairly versed now working remote. Uh, the biggest challenge for me is being able to record while I have two screaming kids <laughs> upstairs. Oh, bad. So, does hybrid appeal to you? Like maybe you could have a recording studio in an office and, you know, more team lunches and things like that. Yeah, it definitely does. I had my own version of hybrid for a while. Actually, when I recorded my advanced React course, um, what I ended up doing was going over to my parents' house because they actually have a room that when they moved in, it was a room that was designed for recording. Uh, so there's no AC or heat, so it gets really hot or really cold, but it's got its own padded walls and a, a really secure sl uh, sliding door. And so I was able to get some of my best recordings done there. Not quite the same because I was still by myself generally, but that was my version of hybrid. I really liked it. You could always look at co-working space or something. A lot of the, I'm not sure what, what that's like in Utah, but it, it could be a consideration. So we can all work together remotely here at Scrimba, but make new friends and collaborators in our local areas. I personally really yeah. like working remote, except for the fact that it is harder to, you know, celebrate things like new releases to the, honestly, if we were in person, every time we added a new module to the career path, we could have a cake, right? And celebrate a little bit. <laughs> and uh, yeah. at some point there'll be too much cake. I can see that happening once we had testing and Git and all the rest of it. But, but it is important to celebrate both our successes as a team and people in the community. But overall, it works really well since we all have our kind of areas of focus, don't we? For example, I will sometimes spend the whole of a Thursday or a Friday towards the end of the week coding the Discord bots, which you might have seen if you've joined the server recently, but in the future could be used to uh, give people reputation points if they are very positive and help people in the community. There's no real need to be in an office to do something like that. But when it comes to sort of meetings and sharing little wins here and there, we try our best to use Slack for that. And Slack has a feature called Huddles, where it's it's kind of similar to tapping on your coworker's shoulder <laughs> if you're in person, sort of sitting next to them at a desk. You can just quickly jump into a voice-only call and talk about something. I think that's a cool feature to have. And then it's a little bit of sort of embracing it as a team, sort of being ready to jump on those little calls or signifying when you might not be available because you're you're focused or something. But it's an interesting territory, isn't it? Sort of remote remote only is quite unique. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely been a change. Um, honestly, though, I think my productivity has increased being remote only. But that's because at the last job I had at vSchool at the boot camp, I really love both foosball and ping pong. And so I would get distracted all day playing <laughs> ping pong with people. And so I probably have more working hours working from home, even trying to trying to manage, you know, the family being upstairs uh, than than I did working at a at a physical location. I go back and forth, you know. I used to think I was a hardcore introvert and I just hated being around people. But working remotely has kind of showed me that I like to focus in silence and not be, you know, it's good to not be disturbed all the time. And and sometimes that could last days, right? But I I do actually find that just little coffee breaks or lunch times or, you know, a reasonable amount of meetings, like nothing silly. I actually find that kind of energizes me and splits the day up in a way that I can I can be more productive when I sit down back at my desk, right? Cause because the idea of sitting at your desk for 
you know, seven, eight hours is, is like not that great, to be honest. So, you mm-hmm. know, you have to either work a bit less or balance it with some other activities. I've been thinking about maybe getting a pair of like headphones that I can sort of walk around the house in and just do like more fireside chats or hang out in the Discord hangout channel and just chat to people in the community. Just some way that I feel like I'm being productive and connecting with people, but doesn't require me to sit down all day. Do you find that's a problem or are you pretty happy just to like sit down and, you know, smash stuff out all day? I, I mean, with with the kids um, and the family, it's it's kind of a blessing if I get to sit down for more than a couple hours. Um, so so I do enjoy it, but it's probably because I don't find myself doing it day in and day out. I think if I didn't have distractions, yeah, it would be something that I didn't look forward to sitting at a desk. Mm. But I do find myself up and about fairly regularly, um, especially between recordings and edits and everything. So so that's that's nice. Jay Rumberwer asked earlier if the projects built in the career path are good enough to add to your resume or portfolio. What do you think? Honestly, probably not. The self-assessment projects that I plan on introducing, that we're, we're all introducing, will be good to host somewhere. But frankly, if you're, I mean, if you make a something really relatively small, like say a rock, paper, scissors game or something, Rochambeau. I mean, an employer is probably not going to be impressed enough by that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't build it. You should be building those projects. All the projects in the career path are meant for your practice more than your resume. Now, when you get toward the end of the career path, uh, there's going to be a number of self-assessment projects that, that we assign and those will be more portfolio ready, I, I guess, because you'll be using a more advanced framework. You'll be interacting with APIs and getting stuff and data from the web. You might even be saving stuff to something like a Firebase database. And so once you have something that's a real full front end application, not just a toy project, those become really worthwhile uh, putting on your portfolio. And I guess maybe another realm of that is if you plan on being more design focused, you don't necessarily need to build the most interactive, complex React app. You can build static websites and put those on your on your portfolio and gear your resume and your portfolio toward a more design or static website heavy um, you know skill set. Some of the early stuff, I mean, Pear's intro to JavaScript course where you build a subway person counter, that's probably not going to turn heads um, to it for a recruiter or hire. But what about what about like the Netflix clone, which is more of a substantial project? The Netflix clone is awesome, but and and one of the reasons that I want to focus a lot on these self assessment projects is you need to be able to answer every question that might come your way about the code base in that in that project. And this is, again, where Scrimba stands apart from something like YouTube. Um, but if you are simply hitting play and watching the instructor write the code and then thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, I think I get it. Um, when somebody asks you detailed in-depth questions, like, why did you why did you write the code this way instead of that way? You need to be able to answer those questions. And so you can put the Netflix clone on your portfolio if you're able to answer questions as if you wrote it from scratch. In fact, I would say delete your entire code base that you saw from Scrimba and then try to do it again from scratch without looking at anything. Mm. And if you can do that and you might end up writing it a different way, which is fine, um, you'll be much more capable of answering any questions about the code. You know, you might not necessarily get asked questions, but the benefit of having something like the self-assessment projects will be you built it and we did not show you how to do it. Then it's easy as pie. I mean, you can answer questions all day about it because you put your heart and soul into it and nobody showed you how to do it. It's just a good test to do for yourself, which is to kind of anticipate what questions somebody might ask about the code. It could be as broad as why did you do it this way versus that way. But if there's a line of code or a section of the code that you just haven't got a clue what it's doing and yeah. You know, and and I think this applies to your resume and things as well, by the way. Like if you have a resume, people often use like platitudes or they say things like, oh, I increased the something hundred percent. And it might have gone from one to two, for example. Yeah. You, need, <laughs> yeah. you, you need to, 
you need to be able to sort of like think through the and anticipate the questions an interviewer might ask. Otherwise, you might listen. There will be some things that are perfectly okay not to know. I could answer. Well, I copied it from Stack Overflow. <laughs> it seemed like a good solution, and it works. And you know that's fine. But but in general, if there's any, you don't want to give somebody a reason not to want to to work further with you. So I think that's a great test. And then one more thing I would add to that, Bob, is you could consider expanding the Netflix clone or similar projects in the future. And then you can really explain and be very sincere when you say, I started off by following this tutorial, but then I added all this functionality. That's both quite um, creatively challenging and unique. And to be honest, it, if you're not so keen on creative things like thinking of project ideas, which I know a lot of people struggle with or designing things, it's also perfectly okay just to go to netflix.com and start to recreate features that you see there or, or perhaps alternate, or if you have a feature request for Netflix, that's even better because you could start to implement it and then you have a story to go with your project. But yeah, I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a great bit of advice, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. And and something that used to hold me back, so I don't know who needs to hear this, but you don't need to do it in the same way as the Netflix engineers. If you say you see a feature that is not included in the Netflix clone on Scrimba, you want to add it. You don't need to research the the to it to death until you figure out exactly how they did it. Just just think of a way and do it. Or maybe think of two ways if you can, if you've got the tool set for that and choose which one you think is better. Yeah. And then if somebody asks you like, why did you do it this way? You know, why, why wouldn't you do it that way? I'm imagining some aggressive interviewer. I don't know if that would actually happen. <laughs> um, but you can say, well, this was the way that I thought of, and I'm sure there are better ways, but I, I've, you know, put my emphasis on creating the feature instead of having paralysis on how to create the feature. And I think that would, I think that would go over fine. Nobody's gonna look at your code base well, yeah, somebody might, but but people aren't generally going to look at your code base, think that you did it a ridiculous way, and then just dismiss you. If they get a chance to talk to you and you can say, look, I'm I'm still learning, but I was able to do this of my own accord without stealing other people's code. And you know, there's probably better ways, but this way, this way worked. Um I think people are are putting a lot of uh emphasis on productivity in coding as opposed to doing it absolutely the perfect way the first time. Right. I, isn't that, you're making me think of something, which is that the, that when you're a new developer, you just don't know how much you don't know. Once you've been doing things for a while, you realize that nobody knows that much. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's perfectly okay to say it's, it's important that you're honest, obviously, because any sort of insincerity will come off totally wrong, but it's okay to say that, mm, yes, there might be better ways of doing it. I actually don't know. Honestly, if you go for a job interview and you have an opportunity to say, I don't know, I would see that as a good thing. <laughs> like it kind of, it kind of means you might learn something. They might explain it to you. It also shows that you're teachable and humble and all those good things. Um, but I just wanted to build on your point slightly because I think it's a confidence issue and a lot of new programmers they they're like oh I sh maybe i should know this and then they they're tempted to, to to not lie about it but instead of just simply saying i don't know you kind of dig yourself a hole here's here's a question for you bob from hayes in the chat and i'd love to get your perspective on this as well what do you think are some of the top projects that entry-level front-end developers should consider building to add to their portfolio if if not as you said anything from the career path Honestly, I think anything that's interesting to you, if you, a lot of people I know get into coding because they have an idea of what they want to build. And, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's a unique idea or it becomes the next, you know, the next Facebook. If it's something that you're interested in, you're going to be much more likely to stick with it and continue adding features than if I tell you, you know, the world is in dire need of another to-do list. So can you build that? <laughs> yeah. Um, building anything that interests you. And it could be a, a total ripoff of the concept of a to-do list. And it doesn't matter if it becomes interesting to you, um, you know, brand it some in some different way. That's that's like what Pear did in his new JavaScript course where he created, he created a counter. I mean, let's be honest, there's a plus button, a minus button and a number. It's a counter, but he put a brand to it that dealt with one of his past jobs of counting the number of people that were getting on on train cars and suddenly it becomes interesting to you because it it's more personal that's an extreme example but anything that's going to going to keep you motivated to continue adding to it making it look good is going to be better i mean maybe you're not a tv watcher 
probably a Netflix clone is not what's going to get you a job because you're not going to be interested enough to, you know, build out all the features you need. I think another way of phrasing your advice is just scratch your own itch, like find problems that you actually want to solve with code and then build the apps. I think something I did very wrong that I would caution people about is being too ambitious. Like I would have a list of projects like, oh, I'm going to build a Netflix clone. I'm going to do a passenger counter like in the career path, but I'm going to make it cross-platform and I'm going to connect it to a database and all these things. And the problem with that is I just completely underestimated how long and how much energy it would take to do everything. So I started to feel like a bit of an imposter, right? Because I couldn't finish any projects. And so my best advice would be to pick problems that you actually have, but then try and make the solution as small as viably possible. You might have grand ambitions to make it cross-platform as an example, or to add extra features, whatever it might be. But if you can try and reduce it to the core, you'll have a much better chance of finishing it. And if you're still excited, and therefore, if you finish it, it can go in your portfolio. And if you're still interested in it, you can continue to build upon it, and then it might be an even more standout project. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great advice. And honestly, even when it's your own itch, it's your own, you know, interest, it can be really tough when you're first starting to know the scope of your own projects. There, honestly, I don't think there's much of a way around it other than starting to do it and realizing you're in over your head. Mm. And because, you know, it's not a fun experience, but it, it, first of all, um, teaches you what complexities are out there. And, you know, what is easy, relatively easy to do and what's relatively hard to do. Um, But it also forces you to figure out what the MVP, the minimum viable product of your app is and strip away all of the, the complexity to at least to start until you can figure that out later down the road. Omar910 said that they will soon be finished with module nine and want to understand if they should move on to Venlan React right away or if they should practice some more JavaScript and CSS before jumping to React. Boy, yeah, it, it definitely depends on your own skill set. This, these are the kinds of questions that make me excited to get the self-assessment projects in there because the idea is if you can build it, then you're ready. Um, but... I, I think that it's never it's never a bad idea to keep practicing. Um, but there's also, you know, I don't I don't want anybody to become afraid to move forward um, or get stuck in a comfort zone without pushing yourself, I guess, to mm. to move on. Um, so it it would definitely be difficult just to to answer that on an individual basis, um, but also difficult for him to know for sure uh, if he's ready or not. So I. Yeah, I would say maybe do a little bit of a little bit more practice um, or build another project or two just for fun and then and then move on. Um, And then once the self-assessment projects are in place, you can you can use those as your guide. Is it like, would it be a good idea just to, you know, if you finish that module and and you felt reasonably good about it all to just move on to the React stuff and see how you get on? I think that's a tricky one because if you have low confidence and you you've convinced yourself that you can't do it you're probably going to feel like you can't do it and that's no good but maybe maybe you just need to push through that yeah well and the other thing is react is a different paradigm it's a different way of thinking so it doesn't it builds on top of javascript skills but it doesn't uh, mostly the algorithmic javascript skills you know knowing how to do for loops if statements and array methods stuff like that um but it it basically gets uh, makes it obsolete for us to need to do manual DOM manipulations um, for the most part. And so, yeah, that's a bit tricky. I, I wouldn't want somebody to just completely forget their, their DOM JavaScript knowledge, but it's also not that necessary, as necessary in React. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think pushing on, um, and then if, you, if you're way over your head, um, that might be a good sign for now before until the self-assessment projects are out. Um, that That's probably a good indicator that you're not quite ready. I'm really excited for those self-assessment projects. They sound like they're going to be a game changer and something that everybody else can look forward to as well. Yeah. So Aman, Aman asked if you will... So the way they phrased it, I'm just quoting, is are we getting jobs after completing a career path? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> if you try hard enough, I, the first job is the hardest one. No, no doubt about it at all. Um, but if you stick with it every day, I mean, finishing the com- completing the career path is not the end of your of your journey. 
sure you might you might get a little certificate um but honestly that certificate means nothing until you can turn it into a job that pays you um it, actually at the boot camp that i worked at we we changed our fundamental approach to say that our students who sign up for the boot camp are they continue to be students until they get a full-time job in in development and we considered anything less than that um just another part of the learning process, um, another stage or kind of like a module in, in uh, Scrimba, you know, we would add a module to the end and say, well, if you got a part-time internship, that's just the next module in the career path. It's not a full-time job. And so you are still a student. Um, and I, I've seen some great examples of that in the Scrimba community. Um, I know that Mailing just got her, her internship, yeah. um, but she's been an amazing um, an amazing example of that where I, I assume that she finished the career path long ago. Um, but the fact that she has stuck with it and if she hasn't, that's fine, but, but I assume she has. And, it, and just the fact that she has stuck with it, continued to be a part of the community, essentially treating it as if she never finished it. That's, that's what's going to help you get a job. So it's kind of a cheater answer because yeah, you'll get a job at the end, assuming you put in the work until you get a job, I guess, by definition. Yeah, of course. I mean, you could basically um, auto play Scrimba videos while you play video games and get to the end of the career path, then nope, you will not get a job. But if your motivation yeah. is right and you do all the homework essentially, and you continue to push yourself throughout and then get your job hunting strategy right. Listen, it's not easy, but getting a job that you know, as a developer, it's a very rewarding job, both financially and in terms of purpose. It wasn't meant to be like easy, but as to whether the career path will help you get there, I have my own opinions and, I, and my opinion is yes, it will. But I also have the benefit of having interviewed a lot of successful Scrimba students on the podcast where I've objectively seen that it is possible, like it's more than possible to build the skills where you can uh, succeed in an interview, but also then go on to build your own projects that might help you stand out on your portfolio. So that that's, I think, a pretty fair answer. Deb yeah, asked, staying, staying focused is, sorry, staying, staying focused is key. Um, anybody that's familiar with violin, it, Itzhak Perlman is one of the foremost world, you know, world leading violinists, uh, master violinist. And he would always say that practice does not make perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect, mm. um, which just highlights the concept like you're talking about. Um, it's not practice. It's not perfect practice. I would say it's not even real practice if you're just auto playing Scrimba videos while playing video games. And it's more than just being focused while you're watching them. It's actually getting your hands on the keyboard, which is what sets Scrimba apart. But crucially, I, I have something to add to that, which is that you shouldn't just rehearse the bits that you already know. <laughs> like if you're learning a song yeah. on the piano, you might have nailed the first 30 seconds and then you get to the 31st second and you mess up, right? Don't go back to the beginning and start at, the, at zero seconds. Maybe don't go back and learn HTML and CSS in this analogy, but, but pick up where you're actually struggling, which might be React or JSX or something like that. Um, practice the hard bits. Like learning should be... As I said earlier, we are quite bad at judging our own learning. We often feel productive because we've sat our butts in a chair and watched the course or read a chapter of a book, but that's really just inputs. It doesn't correlate necessarily to what you're remembering and what you're able to apply. But generally speaking, if the learning is effortful, if you are scratching your head a bit, if you are challenging yourself, if you are a little bit uncomfortable, that probably means that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. You you should be uncomfortable. I mean, imagine... Imagine going to the gym and lifting a, a half pound weight, um, you know, as your exercise, it's not going to, it's not going to build any muscle, no. right. Or, or walking at a half mile an hour, you know, while texting on your phone, you're not going <laughs> to have a strong heart. Yeah. You really do have to become uncomfortable in everything in life. If you're going to make progress. Totally. And it's crazy because I actually think that through programming, I had no choice but to learn that. And as you say, it's not just about programming, it's about everything in life. I think that a lot of people who've had success, success in the past with, you know, athletics or other industries in their career, they, they get this already. It's helpful to remind, remind them, I think. But if you are, if, if programming is one of the first things like this, where you really have to push yourself and stay focused for a sustained period of time, just know that it is a challenge, but there is, there is life 
light at the end of the tunnel, it can be it can be very rewarding in more way in more way than one. I heard an interesting quote once that said that education is the only thing that people try to get less out of than what they paid for. In the rest of our lives, in every other aspect, we're maximizers. If we're especially if we're paying money for it or putting a lot of time to it, we try to get every squeeze every benefit out of it. But for whatever reason, with education, uh, many people will just try to try to skim by or coast by or. Mm. And I think a lot of that is is um, conditioning in traditional education systems where what you're working toward is a grade. It's not new skills. Um, but that means that people just try to try to get as little out of it as they can. Yeah, I never and thought about that. Point. Deb asked, do developers without a computer science degree need to have better and bigger projects to get hired? M maybe I could just broaden the question slightly and ask you, do you think that self-taught developers are disadvantaged in general? And do they have to do you know, so much more to prove they're worthy if they don't have a computer science degree? I think 10 years ago, that was probably true. I think today it's much less true. Uh, I, even some of the FANG companies, um, I think Microsoft was notorious for only only accepting applications from people with master's degrees, or maybe it was undergrads. Um, and I don't even think that's true anymore. I know a couple of years ago, there's a headline that Google stopped requiring any degree at all. Um, and so I think today it's more about what you can do and nobody cares where you went to school. It's long, long as they're short. No, I, I don't think that you're disadvantaged at all. Mm. As long as you're willing to put in the effort to actually learn and be able to build stuff. When I was working at the boot camp, we'd have computer science grads come take our course because at the end of their computer science degree, they didn't know how to build a website. You know, they they might know how to build a, a compiler as if they were creating their or their own operating system or something. But what good is that in, <laughs> in their job search? Yeah. They couldn't build a website, so they would they would come learn, you know, or or people who go off and learn on their own how to do mobile development or something. I have like a slightly different answer for Deb. I think I think what you described is absolutely spot on as it relates to the hard skills, things like actually writing the code and and making the apps functional and things like this. What I think a lot of people don't recognize about a computer science degree and it could be any degree, is that you? it does represent like three years of hard work and commitment. And that's actually quite a big deal. Like if you've done that, it's uh, it probably means that you've learned how to play in a team, right? You've managed to stick something out. You are exposed to a bunch of peripheral things that aren't just about writing code, but how to collaborate. And maybe you learn some soft skills along the way. I don't think you should totally dismiss that. I think it's worth at least acknowledging so you can think about how to course correct and maybe demonstrate that you you might actually have the same experience through work in industry, even if it was a different industry. But the first step is being aware of it and then you can course correct from there. Uh, but, but you are absolutely right, I think, Bob. Like, most com I mean, it, let me say two things. Like, first of all, most companies don't actually filter based on you having a computer science degree. That's a bit of a misconception, actually. I went years thinking that Google would only hire people with computer science degrees. It turns out it's not, it's not true at all, actually. And I've also gone a while believing that when you apply to jobs, some, some of the application systems that the recruiters use will just completely reject a resume if it doesn't have a degree. That, that doesn't happen either. Like it, it really doesn't happen. It's a bit of a myth, actually. And then the other thing I could say is that I have met, and I, I'm among them, many developers who have found success without a computer science degree. I think I think you have to recognize that junior developer jobs can be competitive. And regardless of whether you have a computer science degree or not, you should be building projects and putting forth a, a sort of resume and profile that look attractive to an employer. But the defining factor is not the computer science degree. I want to, let's be clear about that. Yeah. And that's a great distinction to make. I think that anything that gets you involved with other people outside of high school, after high school is, is a great experience. And I think you could achieve a similar level of learning soft skills, both doing a degree in anything. Obviously, if you are in high school and you know you're interested in in software engineering, then computer science degree is a great, is a great route. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the, the, the soft skills, the interpersonal skills, how to communicate with people, how to write, um, all of those things are looked at. I mean, people are not looking for Mountain Dew drinking, Cheeto eating basement dwellers with a black hoodie anymore. It's not, it's, it's a trope of the past. 
And, you know, if you're going to be, they, they want to know that you're a good person to hang out with um, at work. You know, you could achieve something similar going to university. Um, you could go to a trade school. You could just take a gap year. I, I lived for two years in Portugal after, after high school. And I think that taught me a lot of life lessons. I did some, some university and then, and then kind of traveled, traveled abroad. That gave me skills that college never could teach me. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Axel makes a great point, and I, and I think we'd all like to get your take on this, Bob, which is that when learning React, it's not just learning React, is it? It's learning the ecosystem. So you don't just need to know the React API, but you also need to understand the JSX syntax, and then there's going to be a transpiler and a tool chain there somewhere. And now, you yeah, so you have to use Babel, and then you have to deploy it. You have to worry about how you have a build step and stuff like that. So that that can be quite overwhelming, I think, for people learning React. What's your take? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's true of any uh, framework or library, like Angular is similar, Vue is similar. Um, you know, they just, they require build tools because they're using technologies that are not understood by browsers. Um, and so they have to be translated into techno- into, you know, language that is understood by browsers. One thing that's nice about Scrimba is it just handles some of that magic for you behind the scenes. Uh, this time around, as I'm built, because one of the major feedback points that I got from my original course is I'm trying to run this code on my VS Code locally and it's not working. Um, and so I hit on that. I talk about that in this course, how to spin up a React site that will work locally. Um, but the nice thing about Scrimba, handling some of that complexity in the background for you is that it it isn't overwhelming. It's it's uh, yeah. It's very easy to to grasp. And then once you feel like you understand the syntax of React, um, you can start dipping your toes into how to do it locally. Frankly, um, I I think most people these days, when they're doing real projects, they tend to either pull from some sort of starter, um, or honestly, they'll end up using Create React App, Next.js, or Gatsby.js, and uh, kind of work from there. Um, so the build tools end up being in the background anyway, mm. and um, you you have to learn that ecosystem separately. But it's easier in the sense that you can say npm start or npm run dev or Gatsby start or whatever it is, and it'll spin everything up and handle everything for you in the background. It is a kind of fair point that nobody is going to like hire you to code websites in scrimba.com. <laughs> like it, that's just not, yeah. that's just not going to happen. But to my knowledge, the career path doesn't really give people the necessary jumping off point to move to a local editor environment. Is there something we can do about that to better help people feel more comfortable in that environment, which is a, a realistic environment? Yeah, I um, I kind of, this is one point where Per and I differ quite a bit. I, I've been trying to, and I think I'm slowly pulling him toward my point of view, um, really trying to get people involved with their own editors earlier in the career path. One of the last things that I'll be recording as I'm recording the React course now is a, a real step-by-step tutorial on how to start your own uh, or get things up, up and running on your own machine. It definitely is an important part of it to have that. And I'm slowly convincing Pear to let me add that stuff to the career path. Sounds awesome, Bob. That's all we have time for today. I can't believe the hour has just flew by. Thanks again, Bob, for joining me. I mean, I asked you a bit last minute, but every time you join us, it's just an absolute pleasure to listen to you speak about pedagogy and the Scrimba career path. I hope everybody here enjoyed having you and you answering their questions. And, and yes, thank you so much to everybody for coming as well. 70 to 80 people here today. I think we're going to, you know, hit a hundred people in a fireside chat one day soon. Hopefully you'll be here next week and in the future when we hit that milestone. Until next week. Bye everybody.